This is Jason Holleran. I proudly served for 33 years, culminating as the Deputy Commandant at West Point. Put this on your calendar. World War II weekend inside Old Bethpage Village Restoration on Long Island. Scores of operational vintage armor in formation May 18th and 19th. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman invites you to join him in saluting America's greatest generation and all those who have worn the uniform in defense of our freedoms. That's May 18th and 19th, presented by the Museum of American Armor. Your weekend is not complete without the First Lady of New York Radio. It's the Joan Hamburg Show, Talk Radio 77 WABC. One of Broadway's most popular leading men, Will Swenson, and he's starring in Neil Diamond of Beautiful Noise, the hot play on Broadway. So join me and join Will. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Joan Eats. I get a lot of calls on how to get a hard-to-get reservation, maybe for a special occasion, like a birthday, an anniversary. And people often... If it's a hot restaurant or happening, have a hard time getting in. So the place to go, if you're willing to pay for these hard-to-get reservations, is something called theappointmenttrader.com. In fact, I read about it just recently in the New York Times. It's a virtual marketplace where buyers and sellers negotiate for a purchase price for hard-to-find reservations. The New York Times said that with this site, you have a really good chance of purchasing a reservation for a table at one of the most exclusive restaurants in the city, like Rayo's, Carbone, or the Polo Bar. And even though a reservation on this site can cost hundreds of dollars. It may be worth for your anniversary dinner, your birthday, a client that you want to impress. And for some people, they just want to go and they're willing to pay the price. A lot of people don't want to put the time and effort to secure almost impossible reservations. People seem to feel this way. According to Jonas Frey, who's founder and developer of AppointmentTrader.com, this is hard to believe. This man's site has sold more than $2.4 million worth of reservations in the past 12 months alone. And this includes reservations not only in New York, but in L.A., in London, in Miami, And we called him to find out how it works. He said he believes that this website, of course it's his, provides a service to everyone, which previously could only be obtained by people who had a lot of connections or a lot of money. He says that his site gives everyone an opportunity to secure a reservation for a small fee. So. One man told, and you've got to hear this, one man told the New York Times on reasons why he used the site. A.J. Bernstein is a 48-year-old tech guy from Vegas, and he said he used appointmenttrader.com 
for five reservations. Can you imagine? He spent a lot of money, hundreds of dollars, to secure a reservation because he said, when you think of how expensive dinners are, that's only a drop in the bucket. He said he paid $200 for a table to eat at Sexy Fish in Miami. But this is hard for me to believe, too, where he said he spent $3,000 for four people. So he told to the Times, I'm paying more of a premium because I want to be at this restaurant, and I think it's worth it. So on this site, you can buy or request a table, a reservation. They post reservations that are currently up for sale. Those listings have lightning bolts over them, and you can get them for the asking price, so put in a price you're willing to pay and hope it's accepted. And if you can't find the table you want at the restaurant at the time you want, you can put a request on the site, and you'd be surprised how many people are willing to sell their coveted reservations for a couple of bucks. So. There are people who make money selling their own reservations or who can find a reservation at a specific place for a fee. We looked for on-site reservations at Carboni in New York, and the site said the average price was about 150, but it's gone as low as 10 and as high as 1,000. We found a lot of reservations for Carboni reservations that are actively for sale for tonight and every day till May 13th. So this is a good service if you really want to go, and a lot of people want to go to these hot restaurants and are willing to pay. And by the way, on any of these listings, you can negotiate the price with the seller. There's a button you'll see And you push it on the listings where you put in the amount you're willing to pay for any kind of active reservation. So if none of them fit your needs, just call and ask for a reservation or call appointmenttrader.com, go online and look for a reservation. See what you're willing to pay for it and see what happens. A lot of people told us they were very surprised, happily surprised. On April 27th, someone was willing to pay 145 for a table for two at 8 o'clock. And another person, a different day, was willing to pay 105 So it works if you're willing to do it. And the catch is, and that's the part I didn't like so much, you've got to give them a credit card to bid on any reservation and your card is charged before it's accepted. You can withdraw a bid before accepted, and your money is returned. Your money is returned if the offer expires. So theappointmenttrader.com, it doesn't offer a phone number on the website. You've got to email them if you need more information or have a problem. We got a response right away, but according to the New York Times story, that isn't always the case. But if you're a foodie and you have a real reason you want to go, take this information because it will get you to the place that you've been dreaming about, theappointmenttrader.com. I'm Joan Hamburg. More ahead. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Says she loves me, yes, yes she does. One of the big hits on Broadway is a show that has the crowds coming. People love it. The music is divine. The acting is great. So is the actor who's doing all this, Will Swenson, starring in A Beautiful Noise, The Neil Diamond Story. And, you know, many of us growing up sort of fixated on stars or singers or whatever, actors, dancers, and no exception was Will Swenson. Wasn't your dad, Will, when you were growing up, really a big fan of Neil Diamond? You had heard that music since you were a little kid. Yes, I did, and he still is a massive fan and listens to Neil every day. Um, It's kind of (laughs) blown his mind that I'm a part of this project because, yeah, Neil is, is my dad's favorite singer of all time. So I I grew up with it in the home probably every day. Oh, my gosh. It was in your DNA, right? (laughs) Yes, it was. It was and still is. So how ironic that this you would end up at one point in your really interesting career where you're working all the time and a leading man in so many different things that there you would be with um, Neil right in your pocket, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, it felt in a way like I'd been training for it my whole life because I certainly knew all of the songs long before this was ever a project. In fact, I, I I didn't tell my dad that I was involved in this project for fear that it could fall apart and not happen because I didn't want to get his hopes up. Oh <laughs> Eventually, when, when I knew it was a sure thing, I finally told him. <laughs> was he there opening night? He sure was. I mean, he I called me imagine. every day leading up, how's it going, how's it going? Oh. And I was able to introduce him to Neil Diamond. And, and at 86 years old, my dad told me that was the best day of my life. So that oh, was pretty, my. Can you believe great. it? It's amazing. <laughs> and how much fun great. for you, too, like to fulfill his early dreams. And because people do become obsessed with their favorites. Yeah. And yeah, it was terrific. It was an amazing night for me, and to get to do that for my dad was just icing on the cake, yeah. And you started very young in this crazy business? I did, yeah. My grandma was a playwright in the 50s and 60s, and she started a small theater in Southern California that ran for uh, 70 years or so. And so my family was a theater family. Uh, and I grew up in, in Glendale, California, until I was 12. And uh, they threw me on stage when I was, you know, two years old. And so I was just always around it and and, and uh, ended up going into the family business. So to speak. And Grandma Ruth was also an actor. 
Yeah, she was. Yeah, she was great. She directed many of the shows, and she, you know, she wrote them and performed in them. She was a great, great lady. Hmm. Now, somewhere I read that you were all, you weren't an army brat, but you traveled constantly when you were a kid through your whole childhood. What? Well, how come? Well, we just moved a little bit. Um, my dad was switching professions. I was born in Utah, and we moved to Colorado for a bit for for him to uh, teach at a at a college. And then we moved to Southern California, um, where he went to chiropractic school. And then we moved back to Salt Lake City to start a small uh, theater when I was 12 years old. So you know, we moved four or five times, and <laughs> that was not a, a happy thing for a 12 year old. What's that? I said, that's tough for a kid, especially a pre-adolescent kid at 12. Yeah, I wasn't too happy about it. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I, I can imagine. My kids didn't even want to move apartments. <laughs> you know, no, we don't want it. All our friends, I said, you're in an apartment. You, know, <laughs> you live near the bus stop. The kids will come over whenever <laughs> they're taking a bus, but. No, kids, it's um, really tough. But what about the acting bug? You went to Brigham Young, and I can't sort of picture that as a big theater school, or was it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, They have a pretty good musical theater program there. BYU is a a Mormon school, and I grew up Mormon. And, um, you know, the Mormon folks just have a love for for the arts and uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of, you know, kids spend their after school hours, you know, going to dance lessons or singing lessons or music lessons. So everybody was pretty involved in, in that kind of thing. And I think as a result, BYU has a lot of really talented kids. So um, they had a pretty good department. And uh, I, I went just as an acting student to start and then um, quickly kind of switched into the musical theater groove and, and kind of tried to develop my singing voice, which I hadn't taken very seriously until college. And I thought, oh, there's a lot more musicals produced in straight plays. So uh, that's where I was, and, and that, that was uh, where I kind of launched my little acting career from there. Well, it's not such a little acting career, but when you were, you know, your 11, 12-year-old self, and everyone was sort of involved in theater, and particularly a grandma and your grandfather, they were both playwrights too. So mm-hmm. did you resent when they wanted to cast you and you were also available. Them. <laughs> uh, it depended on the moment. Sometimes I was desperately in, interested in being in a certain production. And other times if they wanted me to be in it, I, I was like, no, I'm going to play football. So, you know, it, it, sometimes it felt like doing the chores, especially because sometimes they would make me, you know, sell candy out front or, or be a stage manager. And uh, I wasn't nearly as interested in that stuff as I was being on stage. But um, oh, I'm, I'm but, sure. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> but were they were they happy when you started working and started getting parts? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, to to make a living out of it and kind of leave the nest and and go to New York and eventually be be someone that's working on Broadway. I I I think that my family is really really happy and proud of me. <laughs> well, they should be. When you first moved to New York. Was it hard to find work, or did you fall into things? Yeah, it was a little tricky. Um, you know, my first professional job I got out of college was at Disney World. I got my equity card playing Gaston in the Beauty and the Beast show at Disney World. Right. And um, 
And I remember family coming down there to visit and then saying, well, what are you really going to do with your life, you know, when this falls apart? And uh, <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm really going to go for it. Um, and then I got a couple of tours and I was like, all right, it's time to move to New York and make that big move. And and I thought for sure things would click, but it took me four years of living in the city before I got my first ensemble job on Broadway. And um, and then I was an understudy for several years and, and a swing in, in a couple of Broadway shows. And then finally got a, a lead in um, in the musical Hair on Broadway, and and that's when things uh, started to, to go a little better for me. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know what what's so interesting? Um, some of my kids are involved in the theater and acting and film and the whole mm-hmm. bit. And my <clears throat> daughter-in-law, I would hear her talk about her friends, all actors then. And they would say, if we don't make it by 28 or whatever, that's when we know we're going to leave. But you didn't, you hung on through a lot of stuff. And coming to New York is not so easy, right? I mean, you didn't have that many contacts here initially. It's not. Honestly, I had none. And, uh, and you know, having gone to school in Provo, Utah, I, I didn't know a soul in the big right, city, course. in the Big Apple. So it was tricky. And, you know, I think I had in the back of my mind that if I didn't make it, I could go home and help with the family business. And then uh, my mom passed away. Uh, and so I, that kind of became less of an option for me. And uh-huh. and uh, luckily, things things took off because who knows what would have happened if I if I hadn't booked a couple of shows and got the ball rolling, but it's a scary prospect. It it happened, right? Who knows? And you hung in there. But when you were working as a missionary, which was a part of what, you know, you did and you went to Brigham Young, Mm -hmm. did, is that the path you thought you were going to take or life just kept happening? (laughs) I mean, at the time, it definitely seemed like the path I was going to take. Um, you know, uh, you're, you're always a, a product of your environment. And I was, you know, living in a very happy bubble and, and uh, kind of going along with, with what everybody else was doing. And, and the thing that you do as a, as a good Mormon kid is, is you grow up and you go on a mission and you come right. home and you get married and start a family. And, and that was very much things. the path that I was on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was an adventure. It was a great time of my life. I went to Ecuador on my mission and got to speak Spanish, learn Spanish, and and uh, and live in that beautiful country for a couple of years. Right, and they and they were probably very good to you and happy to have you there. Oh, the loveliest people! If you ever get a chance to go to mm. Ecuador, I can't recommend it enough. Just the loveliest people on the planet. It's fantastic. But then when you came back, that's you started auditioning and working again. Well, I just jumped right into school. I went straight from high school onto my mission. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and then I got home kind of mid-semester school-wise. And I thought, well, I'm here. And BYU offered me a little scholarship. So I'll, I'll jump in here. And who knows if I'll stay. And so I started school. And then uh, I fell in love and, and immediately got married. And, and so I just stayed at BYU and, and until I graduated. And then, uh, and then jumped into to working from there. Yeah, well... It, it all it all sounds good, and <laughs> but you know it, a lot of those climbs to get work don't don't happen so easily. So, but acting seemed to be the right fit initially. 
Yeah, you know, I always just loved it, and um, and I and I I had some facility with it. I'm you know probably having grown up with it and just kind of absorbing it through osmosis. But um, I think I was never very good at anything else, so it just seemed like the smart choice. If I could be a snow skier for a living, maybe I could have done that. That's the only other thing I'm any good at. Yeah, but you have seasons when you're not working, so you would have had anxiety. So <laughs> probably. So this this worked out better. And along this journey, you met Audra McDonald. And how long were you with Audra before you guys decided you were going to get married? Uh, it was about five years. Yeah, I I met Audra in two thousand seven, and. Uh, and we uh, initially just had our kids kind of on play dates because we were both going through divorces and our kids were the same age and our kids got along really well. And then we started dating a little bit. And Were you and, working uh, then? Was she working? We both were working. Yeah, we met on a show. We were in the mm-hmm. same show. Uh, it was 110 in the Shade at the Roundabout Theater Company. Yeah. And um, and I we dragged our feet a little long and eventually got married in, in 2012. <laughs> <laughs> Boy. That that doesn't seem that long. Today, <laughs> today kids are engaged for like ten years. If they, that's true, if, that's true. It's it's a whole different time. Right. So, and and you have a little girl together. We do, Sally James. She's a wonderful little maniac of a kid. Huge energy and a huge, <laughs> wonderful little girl. <laughs> she. Is she going to be an actor? Does she have the family gene? Oh, you know, I, she kind of does. I, I, I wish I wouldn't wish it on anybody. It's such a tricky job. What can you but, do? But uh, she just is full of life and loves to uh, to be at the center of attention. She she's she's got a huge voice and a huge personality. So who knows? We'll see. I'm certainly not going to push it on her, but she I think she could do it. Right, but are your sons? Also, do they have the theater bug, or are they too little? Not so much, and they're not so little anymore. They um, <laughs> they're in college now. I you oh, know I had kids pretty right. young. Yeah, mm-hmm. my oldest boy's graduating from Virginia Tech this year in aerospace mm-hmm. engineering of all things. He's a Doesn't brain. Doesn't sound like an actor. It. Nope, <laughs> <laughs> he did it in high school and, and appreciates it. I think. I've got a younger boy uh, that's a freshman in, in at the University of New Hampshire, and my stepdaughter's uh, going to graduate from Brown this summer. So we've got three older kids that are, uh, you know, out of the nest, and then little Sally at home. Wow. And Brown is a good theater school. My kids all went to Brown. And, did they? Yeah. And it, it was really, they, they did a lot in theater and productions and, in fact, one of my kids lives in L.A. now, and he said it's like an extension of Brown. Oh, really? So, yeah. <laughs> With the Brown kids, you know, all waiting to be discovered. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I know. But not like coming to New York. We think about how brave that was when you weren't hooked up or connected and you had a, years in between to say, should I, shouldn't I? Yeah, and I think today for the kids coming to New York, it's even trickier because the cost of living has become so tricky. You know, Crazy, an apartment yeah. in the city is so expensive. I don't know how I could have done it uh, back in the day. Um, I, I really just look up to the kids that have, have the guts to come to New York and make a go of it these days. And it was when you came to New York, it was easier. I mean, you could find 
apartments. Not easily, but you could. But today, it could be, you know, a nine-floor walk-up, and it's ridiculously (laughs) priced. I remember my first apartment was hanging over the sailor soldiers and airmen's home, and it was (laughs) a big walk-up. And it didn't have, I had, of course, a roommate, as most of Mm -hmm. us did. And the, I said to the landlady one day, well, we need two beds. You know, we can't live like this. So she said, no problem. It was a bunk bed. And she came up with an axe, literally, and chopped the bed (laughs) in half. And that was living in New York. You know, yeah. we didn't think of, write a thing about it. Just come up, chop off the <laughs> half, and and you're set. So it's fun. Now tell me about a beautiful noise. And were you your agent called you, or you knew about it, and how did that happen? Well, it was interesting. I was actually, um, I was workshopping another musical, and the producer uh, was the Ken Davenport, the, the same producer as the Neil Diamond musical. Mm-hmm. And after our presentation one day, he came up and said, Hey, word on the street is you do a pretty good Neil Diamond impression. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Um, I, cause I'd done some Neil Diamond kind of party trick songs at, in cabaret or something. Cause, cause I've always been able to do Neil Diamond pretty well. And, uh, I guess word traveled to him and he was putting the musical together. He said, well, we're putting a show together. Um, we're doing a reading. Would you be interested? And I said, Ken, I've been waiting for the Neil Diamond musical my whole mm-hmm. life. So uh, that's how it came to me, and uh, and I ended up doing the development with it. And um, and the how long did that take? Well, unfortunately, way too long because <laughs> we started developing it right before the pandemic. Um, oh. We did a reading uh, in early two thousand or twenty twenty rather, and um, and Neil Diamond came and and watched it. It was the most nerve wracking thing I've ever done in my life to sing Neil Diamond in front of him. Um, <laughs> And uh, and we got a green light. We, were, we said, all right, this is going to happen. And then the world shut down. And, and you know, I just thought, well, this is going to go away and we'll never hear mm-hmm. from it again. We didn't know if theater was going to come back, let alone this project. And then, thank goodness, you know, the world is kind of slowly coming back together. And uh, and we got to, to workshop it and and, uh, and get it to Broadway. Thank goodness. Yeah, that, because a lot of plays that went through that didn't make it. But Broadway nope. feels good again. You know, it feels like it's solid and here and there are big audiences and they're so happy to be there. Yeah, it's a great season. You know, I think a lot of the shows that got put on pause during the pandemic were able to come back. And most of them are, are kind of opening right now. And uh, and as, as a result, it just seems like a very full season. There's so many beautiful, brand new, original shows and lots of great revivals and and huge stars on Broadway. Just about every theater is full, and and uh, it just thank goodness it just feels wonderful to be a part of it this year. Yeah, and it is amazing when you think what everyone has gone through, and, and the theater. You know, who thought that it would come back roaring like it's doing, and people waiting online for tickets. I love that when you walk in the West Forties, and they're sometimes around the block and. It's mm-hmm. just, thank goodness, because without theater, we need it. It's the heart of New York. That's why people come here. It sure is. I love it. And it's great, great to see the theaters full again. It's just terrific. And how do you deal with a young child 
with you working all the time and Audra had been in a play. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's not very easy. I'm not going to lie. It's the trickiest part of our lives is is, uh, is kind of figuring Doing out how, how our child care is going to go. Uh, and when Audra's show was running, it was even trickier. Um, but we've got a good, you know, team of folks to help us out. Audra's mom lives next door, which is a tremendous oh, help. Yeah. And uh, and so far we've been able to make it work. Yeah, no, it's perfect, you know, and everyone dreams of getting the perfect part and everyone working, and yet there's always so many obstacles. Well, it is tricky, and the theater schedule is not necessarily conducive to being a great parent because you're not no. home at night. So that's I know. tricky. When you're home, you're you know, you, when you're off off of a show or not working, it's great because you you have you know all day every day until your next project starts. So. It's tricky. <laughs> does your daughter accept it, or does she not quite get why mom and dad are both gone at periods of time? <laughs> well, I think she understands why we're gone, um, and but because our schedules are somewhat, um, you know, uh, irregular, she she you know, there's been times where she's gotten used to both of us being home all day. And then we suddenly vanish and she goes, hey, what, what was going on here? So, so I think she's a little confused sometimes as to why we're there and then we're not there. Um, but but, uh, but it I think works she understands. Out. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. good. Well, thank you so much, Will, for coming to visit. We love a beautiful noise. Congratulations. Thank you so much. And it's real. All the wonderful songs are in it. So it's a joy, and that's just what we need. Say hello to Audra, and I look forward to talking to you again. I will. Thanks so much, Joan. Great to talk with you. Bye, Will. You too. All right, everyone. Doesn't Will Swenson have a that voice, a wonderful voice? And he does a really great job. He's a terrific Neil Diamond. And it, 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 I love the fact that it was in his head from the time he was a kid. His father loved Neil Diamond. And that his son ended up in a hit Broadway show playing him was just a really nice story. And, and of course, married to one of our favorites, Audra McDonald. But theater is back, really back. It's a great time to go to see. There are amazing shows. A Dollhouse, which is on Broadway. It's got Oscar winner Jessica Chastain in it. She is a superb star, and we liked it. You've got Parade, Ben Platt, and Michaela Diamond. Again, a star-studded play. Bob Fosse's Dancing. Everyone is excited to see that. Unbelievable dancing. His daughter, Nicole, produced it. Nice, right? She came back and she's doing it. And he was, is, the talent is great. And I have a lot of people who went to see Shucked. And it's true, it is about corn. But people are laughing so hard they they just can't stop. And you see that in a lot of things that are on Broadway. 
the Peter Pan show. The audience was screaming with laughter. And it's a real farce. And people like it. You know, often, like a friend called me today, she said, I was going to go see Peter Pan because you said it was so funny. But um, the Times didn't love it. I said, you know, forget that. If you are, it's a farce, it's a spoof. If you like that, then you're going to laugh and have a good time. Forget about the critic liked it or didn't like it. It's one person. With the night I went to see that, the audience was honestly laughing so hard they were crying. So what are you going to do? Camelot is on Broadway now and a great cast. I just mentioned Peter Pan Goes Wrong, and it's really funny. And the company is the one that did the play that goes wrong. And they open doors that come off in their hands. I'm telling you, people are laughing a lot when you see that. And Fat Ham, the audience loves this show. So... If you're looking for something to see, take a look at that. And those are a couple of plays that people are excited to see. And not that hard to get tickets now. Broadway's back, but people are getting tickets. And if you haven't seen E. Juliet, that's something you're going to want to see. And, of course, Kimberly Akimbo, not a brand new show, but worth seeing. And Leopold Stott of an important play and a serious play. MJ Drawing in the Crowds. Six has a new personality in it. Some like it hot. You've got a lot of stuff. And Sweeney Todd is back. The Demon Barber of Fleet Street in a great production. So what can I tell you? You've got a lot. So when you're saying, what should I do over the weekend? And you can go to the booth in Times Square and get a discount ticket. And I've been going to theater. I've been in the city on uh, weekends and I've taken myself off to some of these matinees and they're really worth seeing and really great. It's a wonderful time to go to theater. My only complaint is, if you're not driving your car, a lot of people don't, and it's very expensive in these garages. I don't know what happened to the taxis, but it's not easy to get a taxi after theater. But a lot of good shows are available, and it's fun to go to theater and then take yourself for a very early dinner you can go to Sardi's if you haven't been there in a long time. You can go to Joe Allen's or so. A lot of good places for an early supper so you get home nice. That's just a couple of thoughts on Broadway. I'm Joan Hamburg, and we'll have much more.
the First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. We were sitting around not long ago talking about our favorite topic, radio, and whether or not radio has changed. And we each had our own experiences. When I first started radio, I was my first job was to take over a couple of hours that a broadcaster, Bob Grant, was moving away from. And he was famous for his insult radio, for his name calling. And and the truth is, a woman, because women have tried, rarely gets away with yelling, get off my phone, even if she wanted to. And we had spent a lot of time talking about that. How did that ever become a programming concept? A lot of good broadcasters have plenty of controversial discussions over the years, but they don't necessarily insult their listeners or hang up on them if they don't agree with the topic. But it's still sort of part of our crazy but wonderful business. For me, radio is a way of soothing some of the loneliness of being in a big city, especially if you're not from here or you didn't grow up here. It's like one of those neighborhood bars where you can pull up a stool or jump up on a stool and have dinner in the company of friendly strangers. Radio is intimate. So different than TV where viewers are at a different location. It's, it's not that personal. When you're on the radio, people can call you up, argue with you, stop you mid-sentence, just like family. And in my world, at least, the radio was a place where wisdom was imparted and advice was shared. Many, many years ago, I became friendly with a wonderful entertainer, Broadway star. Remember Carol Channing? She passed away many years ago. And she was uh, in her 90s when that happened. And she had said to me, you're like the yellow pages of the world. Of course, that's an old reference. But my daughter Lizzie said, no, Mom, you're like the Yelp of the world. And the original advice I had when I started in this business to be prepared was like a mantra to me. And at the top of my list, and we just talked about this with some of the on-air people at ABC, my theory is if you're going to talk to an author who spent a lot of time writing a book, then read the book. I learned this when I first wrote New York on $5 a day and was doing a lot of press. And on, and I've mentioned this to some of you on my first radio interview, which I was so excited about. The interviewer kept asking me, which I thought were odd questions. They had nothing to do with my book. I tried to answer, but I was getting increasingly frustrated and confused. Finally, in my weakest 
most frightened voice, I said, I'm so sorry, I think you have the wrong book. She stopped talking and looked down at her notes. I could see the murder in her eyes as she screamed at her trembling producer, you gave me the wrong book. I vowed this would never happen. In my studio, it doesn't, and I always read the books. Now, not all of you will agree with me. Some broadcasters feel that if you don't read the books, you're eye-to-eye -eye with the listeners, who most of them have not read them yet, and that's a more fair way of doing it. But I sort of believe they go to a lot of work to write these books. If I'm going to interview them, I'm going to read them. Now, many of us on the air are not afraid of a lot of things, but there's one terror that can give me the sweats, and that's dead air. Most radio interviews, including mine, are conversational. So people always say, I love listening to radio interviews. It's like gabbing with a neighbor over the back fence. But consider this. Suppose you're talking away to your neighbor or you're looking at the garden and how did you grow such wonderful flowers and there's no response. When you're on the radio, we call it dead air. And it might seem odd to you that someone would say, yeah, I'd love to be interviewed. And yet they couldn't speak. It's much more common than you think. Sometimes the atmosphere of a studio is overwhelming and people just freeze. I've seen it happen. Early in my career, I was in the studio to watch The Master. Remember Arlene Francis? She was interviewing an actor. And she went on with five questions. She was planning to expand as the conversation got going. Her first was, welcome, I'm so happy you're here. Tell me about your new movie, Dead Air. So I was facing the studio and in the hall, and I heard nothing. And then I heard Arlene with question two, you're newly married, tell me about your bride, dead air. She was brave, she plowed forward, question three, is it true you're gonna be on Broadway? Hard to believe, but the actor couldn't speak. By the time she finished question five, with no response, she got so angry, turning off the mic, she hissed at him, you listen to me, just get hold of yourself and get on with it. Her words seemed to break a spell, and suddenly he lit up and started talking. If radio is live, you've got to be prepared for every eventuality. One year, we were broadcasting from Guadalupe, an island in the Caribbean, and I took Lizzie, my daughter, a teenager then, along. And I was doing the show from the porch of a little villa where we were staying. And the mayor of Guadalupe was there. In fact, everyone was there. They were so excited. I was on the porch working. Lizzie was sleeping inside. She heard noise. She woke up. She wandered out, tripped over a wire, and pulled it. Not only did she cut out the broadcast, but she cut out all the power to Guadalupe. So that was a big deal for everyone, including everyone on the island. Stories like this beg the question, what do you do when catastrophe strikes? Because it will sometimes. 
that was just par for the course. And we had a lot of experiences that weren't always positive. What kind of person are you if catastrophe strikes? Well, there are two kinds of people, those who freaks out and those who laugh. I tend to laugh. My husband does not like, did not like the unexpected. So he, he goes crazy. My feeling is if something goes a little awry, you can't change it. That's what live radio and life is all about. And what a glorious window on the world. One day I had Julie Nixon Eisenhower on my show just weeks after her dad was impeached. We had a very nice interview. She's a very smart, lovely girl. And immediately after she was off the air, I got the nicest thank you note from Nixon himself, thanking me for being so nice to his daughter. I talked to Hillary Clinton about how to survive running for office, often with yoga and chicken. You know, that's what she ended up eating almost every day when she was on the road. When you're in an intimate studio in a radio station, people often drop their inhibitions. You can just be yourself. And it is a gift because I consider my audience family, and I know many of them consider my family their family. So... Continue to enjoy one of the great arts, radio, and keep listening to WAVC. More ahead. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Ask Joan. Every time there's a school holiday or something, we get the call. What can we do with our kids? A lot of people ask me about the intrepid. And Did you know? Maybe you didn't, but you should. They have free Fridays at the Intrepid Sea, Air, and Space Museum. I'm sure any of you who go on the West Side Highway or in that part of New York have passed it. The Intrepid is on Pier 86 at 46th Street along the Hudson River in the Hell's Kitchen neighborhood. It has a phone, 212 Two four five zero zero seven two, Free Fridays at the Intrepid. I love it. And it features the legendary aircraft carrier Intrepid, the Space Shuttle Enterprise, the world's fastest jets, and a guided missile submarine. The museum also offers educational programs, a huge collection of technologically groundbreaking aircraft and vessels. Every age gets a big kick out of this. And now, thank goodness, Free Fridays are back at the museum, so you can enjoy it with the entire family. And we love that this takes place on the last Friday of the month, beginning April 28th and running through September. So you've got a lot of good dates. You've got June 30. July 28th, August 25th, September 29th. And the doors for free admission Friday open promptly at 5 p.m. Last entry to the museum is 8.30 p.m. and closes at 9 in the evening. And all visitors must enter through the Welcome Center 
to get a ticket prior to entering the museum. They claim, and I'm sure it's so because it always looks pretty busy, entry is not guaranteed and subject to capacity. The museum is now celebrating the ship's 80th commissioning anniversary, and they have great events on these free Fridays, panel discussions, special things for the kids, a lot of guests. There's something for everyone, and I really like it. They have summer movies with ship-themed films. They have Astro Live with guest speakers, demonstrations, power telescopes to help you navigate the night sky and answer questions about stargazing and astronomy. So there's no end to the amount of programs they have. There's something for everyone. And I know you're going to enjoy it like I do. I'm Joan Hamburg and more ahead. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com. 